having in my Christian life. And then other times, uh, it feels like, boy, it's almost like a spirit of revival in your heart. And it seems like almost every day new things are happening in your Christian life that cause you to grow. And um, I, I think so. There are, there are times that we go through these periods. And uh, so I want us to look at three things tonight that when we get saved, become new. And I want us to put them into words tonight and to think about them tonight specifically. And hopefully if we have not been um, making progress in these areas... It'll be something that we can pray about and ask God to help us to make progress in them. Uh, maybe, we've, maybe we have made progress in them, but then we've gotten to the point where uh, the river kind of opened up, uh, supposedly, and, and, and we just kind of came to a halt. We just kind of are floating there now, and nothing much happening in those areas. And so I want to look at those things. There are three things that Paul talks about here uh, that become new to us. Uh, when we get saved. And we're going to look at that in the first three verses of chapter number four. If you will, let's look at them together. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I want you to notice at the onset here that Paul uses this word beseech again. He's used it several times, and in the last couple of months, we've talked about it two or three times in the services. Uh, the, the intensity with which this word is spoken. This is not a simple request. He's not just asking a casual favor, but there's an imploring here. There's a, 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 an emotion ta- attached to the asking of this. And he, so he's going to ask the church at Ephesus to consider some things. And he says, first of all, he says, I want to beseech you, I'm imploring you with strong emotion to walk worthy of the vocation uh, wherewith ye are called. And so I find here in the first verse, the first thing uh, that I find that Paul says here in chapter number 4 that becomes new in the Christian life is our vocation. Our vocation. And I know a lot of times we think of vocation in terms of our life's work, uh, what we do for a living, what we draw a paycheck for. If somebody says, well, what is your vocation? What is your trade? Uh, what is it that you do? What's your skill set? Uh, that's what we think of when we think of the word vocation. And uh, yet there's something that happened uh, from the time that we were lost and in that moment, that miracle moment where God saved us, all of a sudden something became new in our hearts and our minds and Paul refers to it here, uh, a vocation. There's a vocation that happens in the Christian life. And uh, I want you to notice a couple things about this vocation. First of all, uh, it's a worthy walk. And the word walk here deals, of course, with our, our uh, uh, choices of life, our daily living, if you will, going through the process of life. And uh, Paul is imploring the church at Ephesus that they are to walk worthy of this new vocation, this vocation that's now part of their life, now that they're born again, now that they're saved. And uh, it's a worthy walk. It's a, a, it's a, um, a, work, a walk that is worth the effort. Can we put it that way? Uh, it's worthy. It's, uh, God is worthy of us walking in the way that His Word instructs us to walk. We're to seek out the old paths and to walk therein, the Bible says. Uh, we're to run the race with patience. How often does the Bible talk about uh, walking in the way? And uh, the, the thing that God has laid out before us, the plan that He has for my life 
and the plan that he has for your life. And can I tell you tonight, it's a worthy walk, amen? Uh, It's worth the effort that it takes to walk the way that God wants us to walk. Now, the truth of the matter is this, that every man has a walk. And we're either going to walk according to the things of this world, or we're going to walk after the Spirit. We're going to follow the things of the Holy Spirit of God. The importance of Him indwelling us is coming into play in this, in that He leads and guides and directs us. And this walk that we're supposed to have is a, is a new walk, isn't it? It's a walk that we didn't used to have. We used to walk after the law of sin and death, didn't we? Uh, everything was about ourselves. We didn't give God a second chance. Think back to before you got saved. We, did, we didn't think much about God, did we? When it came time to us going through our life, um, it really, you know, our, our mindset was set on things we wanted. Uh, I want this, I want that. And so when we got saved, uh, that wanter changed. And the things that used to be important to us, the things we worked for and labored for and strived for in this life, strived, strove. Strove would be past tense, right? (laughs) The things that we would work for in this life uh, changed from the things that we wanted to now when we're saved, we strive and, and... work for the things that, that he wants. And so this vocation changes, this, this work, this labor that we do under the sun, this, this time that we spend here in this life. Um, we get up in the morning, and I hope it's the heartbeat of every Christian, even though we have to go to our work and our jobs, and I understand that. I hope it's the heartbeat of every Christian uh, daily to walk in such a way that it is pleasing and glorifying to God and is a good testimony to those that are lost around us. And our vocation has changed. Our walk has changed. The thing that we used to strain for and work and labor towards, it changed the day we got saved, didn't it? It's a worthy walk. It's a walk that is worthy of our effort and the intensity of of walking the way that God wants us to walk. And then I want you to notice the vocation itself. The Bible says here in verse number 1 that we have this new vocation, and it says, wherewith ye are called. It is a given vocation. God gives it to us. He puts it in our hearts. We call it a calling. Uh, Some people say, well, have you been called to preach? Have you been called to song lead? Have you been called to be a Sunday school teacher? Have you been called to be a missionary? Can I tell you this? All of us have been called to be a Christian. God has put into our hearts that we are to be telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ everywhere we go. The labor, the things that used to be important to us to put our effort towards, uh, used to be to gain things. I want a new house. I want a new car. I want a new jet ski. I want a new boat. I want a new whatever it is that you love uh, to do. Uh, Ladies, I don't know. I I want enough money to go shopping every day. (laughs) Whatever it is that you all do. The things that we used to put our efforts towards... All of a sudden that desire changed and now we want to put our effort towards doing things for the Lord. Now we want to take our effort, the vocation that God gave us, this this calling if you will, and we want to try to do things for the Lord Jesus Christ. When we get saved, that changed. There's something new there that didn't used to be there. And if it's not there in our hearts, one of two things is, is true. Either we have not truly been born again or we've reached one of those places in our lives where we feel like we're just kind of sitting there and not moving. Uh, There ought to be, in every Christian's heart, a desire 
for God's will to be accomplished in this world. Can I say that statement one more time so we get it really well? There ought to be a desire in every one of our hearts, if we're Christians tonight, if we've trusted Christ as our Savior, we're believers tonight. There ought to be a desire in every one of our hearts for God's will to be accomplished in this world and then to labor for it. And really, that that ought to be the purpose of our life and what we strive for, to find out what it is that God is doing and get involved in it. Say, Lord, I want to do that. Be like Isaiah. Say, hey, here am I. Send me. I see what you're doing, Lord. You're trying to win the world to you. You're trying to share the gospel everywhere you go. Lord, let me be a part of that. And the vocation that we used to have, the thing that we used to put our our effort into, it's new now, isn't it? It's, It's different than it used to be. Or at least it ought to be. Amen? And I want you to notice, secondly, that God gives us, when we get saved, a new character. A new character. And I'm not talking about being a character. I'm talking about having character. Look with me, if you will, in verse number 2. The Bible says, With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. And I want us to notice a couple things about this. God has given us a new character. Now, aren't you glad of that? I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not what I'm going to be one day, but I am so thankful I'm not what I used to be. Amen? I think we could all say amen to that one. We're thankful for that, aren't we? That we're not the same way we used to be. We used to sing a little song years ago in Sunday school, uh, the things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. The places I used to go, I don't go there. And we had all these verses to it. Uh, the, 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 when we were teenagers, we'd be like, the girls I used to date, I don't date them. But, you know, the truth is, when we get saved, God changes our character, doesn't he? And the Bible refers to that as a transformation. That's something that has to happen from the inside out. Because the character is based in an area that the Bible refers to as the inner man. Uh, think again of the, the scribes and Pharisees. And Jesus constantly ridiculed them uh, during his earthly ministry. And yet he never condemns them for what they were outwardly. In fact, he commends them for what they were outwardly. Always does so. Uh, you can always look at them. Outwardly you're clean. He's always telling them how well they have kept the law. How well they've done this. How well they've done that. But his criticism of them and his condemnation of them was what? Inwardly. Inwardly, you're full of dead men's bones. There's, no, there's nothing to your character. You're putting these things on outwardly as a show for people and to have haughtiness and pride about the life that you live. And yet the character comes from inside. There's a lowliness there. There's a meekness there. And yet there's a yieldedness to the Holy Spirit of God. And somebody said one time, and I've heard a lot of definitions on character, but somebody said it this way one time, that character is what you do when nobody's looking. Character is what you do when nobody's looking. Well, the truth of the matter is, if we're Christians today, we know that that's never true. Somebody's always looking, isn't isn't he? And so we change on the inside. God gives us new character, and the character... I find here in verse number 2, Paul deals with two aspects of it. There are numerous aspects of our character dealt with in the Bible. Paul gives us two of them, two main ones here 
in verse number two. I want us to look at them with regards to our new character. The first one is that we have humility about us, that we have humility. And isn't this one of the greatest sins that we face? Uh, We joke about it a lot. (coughs) We talk about it a lot. But truthfully, isn't humility probably one of the hardest battles we face? Even when we think we are being meek and lowly and humble, there still are elements of pride in us. In fact, it's possible to be so humble that we're proud of our humility. And there goes the humility. So Paul deals with this by using two words here, lowliness and meekness. Lowliness and meekness, dealing with our humility. And then he says, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Another uh, characteristic of our character, when it's made new, is a, a, a character of forgiveness. Forgiveness, humility and forgiveness. And by the way, I think if we could get a hold of these two, I think so many other areas of our character would take care of themselves. If we could ever get to the place where we truly had a spirit of humility, and by the way, I think the forgiveness comes with that spirit of humility, but if we could ever get to the place of being long-suffering and forbearing to one another, I believe a lot of other areas of our character would take care of themselves. For it seems that most of the character flaws that we have are because of our pride and because of our bitterness. Now, we, we get, when we get saved, God gives us a new character. And I don't know about y'all, but I'm thankful for that. There was something distinctly different the day I stood up from that chair having trusted Christ as my Savior. I can't put a finger on it. I can't explain it. But the desires that I had changed. The things inside me, the thoughts that I had, not that I'm perfect, but the desires that pushed me one direction before I was saved seemed to be gone, and the things that I I now pursue are things that, that want me to pursue after the things of the Lord. And I'm not saying that the flesh nature doesn't ever rear its head up. Of course it does. But there's something in us new now that battles against it daily. And that's called this new character, this new nature, if you will. So we have a new vocation. We have a new character. And I want you to look lastly with me in verse number 3. We have a new unity. We have a new unity. There is something about being a Christian that draws our hearts together, doesn't it? Hold your place here for just a minute. Look with me in the book of Philippians. And let's go to uh, Philippians chapter number 4. Philippians chapter number 4. I want you to look at Paul. He's dealing here now with another church, the church at Philippi. And he says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and longed for, my joy and crown. Which, by the way, can I say this? Joy is not found in things. Joy is found in people. You, you win somebody to the Lord and tell me your heart doesn't fill with joy. You see someone get saved and a miracle happened right in front of your eyes. And Paul, Paul knew it and understood it well. Paul had seen hundreds and probably at this point thousands of people come to know him as Savior, come to know Christ as Savior. And verse number four, he makes this statement, Dearly beloved brethren, dearly beloved, ye are my joy and crown. You are. 
I long for you. You're my joy. You're my crown. So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Now watch what he says here in verse number 2. I beseech Eudeus and, and I and beseech Syntyche. And he uses the word beseech here again. Again, strong emotion. He's pleading. He's imploring with these uh, folks. Uh, I beseech Eudeus and be, beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, I don't know what was going on. The Bible doesn't tell us what was happening in the church at Philippi. But obviously and apparently... There was division here that was causing harm and uh, really was, was um, uh, affecting the testimony of the church at Philippi. Because here's Paul, he's not even in Philippi at the time, and he hears of this division. And he says, I'm going to implore you, I'm, I'm beseeching you. He says, I want you to go and I want you to talk to uh, Eudeus and I want you to talk to Syntyche and I want you to tell them that I am pleading with them, I, Paul, am pleading with them so that they be of the same mind and, and, and I don't know what issues are. Have you ever gotten to a standstill in an argument where you knew neither side was going to win? You ever been there? <laughs> I, our stubborn mind, you know, I, I'm not going to give in. Their stubborn mind, they're not going to give in. And uh, it happens, doesn't it? And it seems like it cannot be resolved. Can I share something with you? That's okay. There will be some things that you will disagree on, and I will disagree on. But, you know, there can be a unity that Paul gives us here as we look in verse number 2, Philippians chapter number 4, because he's taken these two, two ladies that, I don't know what their issues were, but apparently they were pretty bad. And he says, I implore you, I beseech you, I, I plead with you that they be of the same mind. And then I want you to notice this. The last three words are critical in the Lord. You say, Brother Greg, can I disagree with you and us still love one another as brothers? Oh, yes, absolutely. Because we're bound by something a lot stronger than our disagreement. And that is the family of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm your brother in Christ. You're my brother or sister in Christ. And no matter what our disagreements are, that's not going to change. Uh, I've, got a, I've got an earthly brother here. His name's Rich. I, I kid him from the pulpit a lot. If he ever comes here, I'm sure you guys are going to tattle on me like you did with my older sister this past Sunday, some of you. And uh, I'm sure that that's going to be brought up <laughs> to my brother that I give him a hard time. But he and I have been that way really almost, almost all our lives. There's a pretty good age gap, gap between us. We love one another dearly, would do anything for each other. But there is no way we could live in the same house again. Uh, we are just two different people. Um, as I get older, we're getting to be more similar because he's very, very slow and methodical. As I get older, not because I want to, but just because of health reasons and physically, I'm slowing down a little bit, and I'm kind of reaching his speed sometimes. But no matter how angry I get, and my brother and I have had some knockdown, drag-out arguments, he's my brother. We were working in a print shop one time, and I was running two printing presses, and he was running two printing presses, and we were working quickly, and, and anytime you work quickly around equipment like that, you can make a mistake that can be very dangerous. And um, I remember turning my back to him to turn around and operate the other press for a moment. I had the other one running already. 
And all of a sudden, I hear some gears grinding on the other press that he was working on. And immediately, without even seeing it, I knew what had happened. He had rolled his hand into one of the cylinders and had it jammed in there. And the gears were grinding. And, of course, the force of that is, is unbelievable. It could have probably crushed his hand and taken his arm into the machine had it not been for a piece of metal that ran up and caught, caught in the gear. And I ran, I don't know how quickly I did, and, and all 200 pounds of me went around that printing press that was between him and I, or I might have jumped over, I don't even remember. And immediately I was hitting the, the power switch and rolling his thumb back out of that press, and it crushed about half of his thumb. I remember uh, walking him to the door and get, calling my dad and saying, uh, Dad, we need to take Rich to the hospital. And he said, well, can we just put a Band-Aid on it? And I said, no, Dad, we need to go, and we need to go now. And uh, I walked him out, and it was my brother, and I was sick for the rest of the day because as much as he and I would fight and argue and have problems, there was something that unified us. He was my brother. We get back to Ephesians chapter 4. We see a perfect example in Philippians chapter 4 that there is to be a unity of the Spirit, and Paul uses this phrase, in the Lord. It cannot be done outside of that. And so we find that the third thing that happens and becomes new when we get saved is this newness of unity. We're a body of Christ. Uh, we're fitly framed together, the Bible says. Each of us has a role to fill. And no one is any more important than the other. The eye doesn't say to the toe, or the ear to the finger, or the hair, uh, the, that's not a good illustration for me, the, the, uh, the tongue to the, to the knee. We don't say one's more important than the other. Any of you ever step on a splinter and get a splinter in your foot that you couldn't get out? And, and maybe one of the smallest toes that you had? Oh, it hurt. And you limped. The whole body hurt. Any of you ever have a toothache? Man, that little bitty old thing that's in your mouth there, and it causes the whole... You, don't, you want to lay down in a bed, you don't even want to move. Any of you get a real bad sunburn? <laughs> jam your finger, jam your toe. When one member hurts, the whole body suffers. And so God gives us, when we get saved, this new spirit of unity. It's amazing. I can be on vacation, walk into a Baptist church with other believers... And feel at home. You ever been there? You ever done that? That's something that didn't used to exist before you got saved. When we get saved, God makes all things new. Three things specifically that we're looking at tonight. He gives us a new vocation, a new calling, if you will, a new let's call it a commission. Shall we do it that way? A new vocation. We're now moving our efforts in a different direction. We have a new character. All of a sudden, the things that drive us and motivate us and move us inwardly have changed. We now have a spirit of forgiveness that we didn't used to have. We now have a spirit of humility that we didn't used to have. And then we find God gives us this new unity. Look with me in verse number 3. Endeavoring to keep, you see that word? The unity of the, what's the next word here? Capital S. We're not dealing with the spirit of man. We're talking about the Holy Spirit of God in the bond of peace. 
endeavoring to keep the unity. Do you think that the implication of this verse is that it's possible as a Christian to lose that unity? I believe it can. When we quench or grieve the Holy Spirit, you can mark it down. The unity, because it is His unity, is disrupted in our lives. You get two people that are believers at odds with one another. The very first thing that must be dealt with is how is your walk with God? You, you can deal with every other aspect of the situation, but until you get to the bottom of the matter, the unity will be disrupted because it's the unity of the Holy Spirit of God that keeps us unified. And we're to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. I want to encourage you with this tonight. There are three things that we've studied tonight, and Lord willing, over the next several weeks, we'll study some more of some things that when we get saved ought to become part of our lives, some, some practical training, if you will, from God's Word. These are things. And if they're not there, can I, can I urge you, don't attempt to do them outwardly. Get on your knees and find out why it's not happening from the inside out because that's where it comes from. It has to stem from the inside out. Uh, there was a phrase years ago in uh, sales. I used to work for a fella that sold traffic safety equipment, and one of the things they would tell you if you didn't know all that you needed to know about a product was fake it till you make it. And the sad fact of the matter is a lot of Christians do that. We try to do something on the outside until it's there on the inside, and that's the wrong direction. We need to find out, first of all, on the inside, what am I? am I? Am I a whited sepulcher full of dead men's bones? Or is there something inside of me that's new? And if it's new, is it changing my vocation? Is it changing my character? Is it in changing my mindset in the unity of the Spirit? And I hope that that will be a help to you tonight. Let's stand together, shall we, with our heads bowed. Father, we're thankful for your word. And Lord, just a practical lesson tonight, something to try to teach us some things from your word. I hope it's been a help and encouragement. Lord, some of us can look at those things, and while we've maybe never put them into those words, we can look at them and say, well, yes, those, those I can see those have happened in my life. But, Lord, as many times the river kind of ebbs and flows, there, there are times in our spiritual life, I think, that we, we grow stagnant. Other times we're flowing very well and moving quickly and growing. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be fervent in our Christian lives, that we would seek to grow daily, that there would be a, a desire in our hearts to grow in your word, to grow in the grace and the knowledge and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Lord, these things that we've talked about tonight, I pray that you'd help us to examine our hearts and see how well we're doing in each of these areas. And, Father, that we would seek to have inwardly the drive and the energy, the zeal, the desire to do these things in a way that would glorify you. Father, may we be all that we should be as a Christian. Dismiss us with your blessings, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. God bless you all. you dismissed.